It is so good to have you here this morning. I want to encourage you uh, to open up your Bibles or turn them on, whatever the case may be, to the book of Romans. We're about to finish up the book of Romans. It's actually a letter that was written a long time ago. I need you to turn to two different places. I want you to turn to chapter one. We're going to review how this all got started so long ago. And then we're going to look at where we've ended up in Romans chapter 15. So Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 15. This morning's message is called The Gospel Life. And as, as those kids were up here uh, singing their memory verse, I don't know about you, but I, I learn in a different way than most people. These kids, they're homeschooled and, and they get together, and, and I'm sure Susanna would love to talk to you if you have kids that are interested in doing that. But uh, one of the ways in which I always learned was hands-on. I, I didn't really... Um, appreciate people speaking to me. It was very hard for me to be in your spot, uh, listening and sitting and even doing problems in a book or in paper. It was hard for me. But if I could see someone, if I could be there and watch uh, whatever it was that I, I thought I believed or knew, if I could see it worked out, I could learn very, very quickly. And so the picture on the slide that you're looking at is actually from Israel It's the stone pavement in a Roman city, first century AD, that perhaps Jesus would have walked on when he lived. It was a part of the Decapolis. It was a part of a number of cities that the Romans built there in Israel. And these stone pavement, uh, these stone pavers uh, basically follow a line and there are shops on each side, the ruins to a bathhouse and, and to all sorts of other Roman buildings. And in one of the stones is actually etched out a little game that the Roman soldiers would play, uh, much like our kids play today, but adults would do it during um, their off time, keeping themselves busy. And so this morning, we're going to look at life, real life. And as I was standing several years ago on this street, wondering what would it have been like to live in the days in the place where Jesus walked, in the apostles. If you're familiar with New Testament history, the book of Romans was written by the apostle Paul, who at first was persecuting the church. His name was Saul, and he had this encounter with a risen Lord. And his name was changed to Paul. And from that point forward, instead of persecuting the church, he became a missionary, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, all around the Mediterranean Sea. And so, as we arrive this morning, we're about to read a passage of Scripture that isn't so much teaching, but it's an insight, a deeply personal insight into the plans and desires of this apostle. And at this point in time, the letter of Romans was written in about 57 A.D., There's lots of discussion in the New Testament as far as when books were written, but this one is pretty darn accurate. Most people agree, most New Testament scholars agree, about 57 AD from the city of Corinth that the church there was supporting Paul and Paul's writing to the church at Rome. So in your mind, kind of get the scenario here. Jesus is roughly born 3 BC, crucified 30, 33 AD. So approximately 25 years after this, the Apostle Paul has been evangelizing as well as the rest of the church, the Mediterranean. And he's writing, and he's about to embark on a trip back to Jerusalem at this point in time. 
57, 56 AD. Now, if you're familiar with history, once again, fast forward a little bit, and in 66 AD is the first Jewish revolt in Israel. That's not covered in the New Testament. Uh, it's not described. But it's the first Jewish revolt against the Romans, the very place that Paul is about to write to. And it's that point in which the Romans really get stirred up and they send their armies and they begin to lay siege to Jerusalem and wipe out the temple in AD 70, never to be rebuilt even till this day. So there was a lot of nationalism going on. There was a lot of, of real hatred towards the Roman government during this period of time. Additionally, not only that, but life was really hard. There were a number of famines going on throughout the Roman Empire, especially in Israel, so food was really hard to get. People were poor. And so the Christians there in Jerusalem, whom Paul has been taking up an offering from the other churches that he evangelized and planted in the Mediterranean area, they were suffering. They were not only suffering famine, they were poor. Many of them were being excluded. As the Jews had hated the Romans, they hated this new sect these Christians, and they were firing them, they were losing their jobs, they were going hungry. And so that's the environment in which Paul is writing this letter, and that's the environment in which he's about to just dive headfirst into. He's maybe guessing on his age, 50 to 60 years old. And so if we're going to look at this letter, not through an explicit teaching of theology that he's, he's really laid out so clearly in Romans, but if we're just going to look at the heart of a man who had been suffering and been serving for his faith for several decades now, and he's reaching that time in life where maybe he's about to put it on cruise control and could possibly retire. For some of you young here today, that, that's... That's hard to even imagine that point in your life. For some of you, you've passed that point in life and, and you've, you've hit those golden years and maybe you're, you're wondering how well you've spent them. But this is the, the opening to the letter in which Paul describes his life in the gospel as we look at Romans chapter 1. And then in Romans chapter 15, we'll see how he begins to, to close it up and wrap it up, his life. He begins in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, as he had opened up this letter, writing to a church that he had never been to, to people that he had never met. He says, Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus, Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. Now, many, none of, no one in here is called to be an apostle. The apostles passed with the closing of the New Testament era, but at the same time, everyone in here has been called or is called to salvation in Christ, and he has gifted you to be used for his glory and his kingdom. Specifically, though, Paul was called to be an apostle, and he says, set apart for the gospel of God, which he, pro <clears throat> which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience, the obedience of faith for the sake of his name 
among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. He lays out the entire Gospel succinctly in one paragraph. The Scriptures beforehand promised what God was going to bring into the world. This Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by power in His resurrection. And our faith in Him wasn't just a get-out-of-jail-free ticket. We were called to obedience for the sake of His name, His glory. There's more to life than just this world. Life eternal. And he says, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ as beloved children. Now fast forward, turn to Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. As a matter of fact, back up to verse 17, because verse 22 begins with the phrase, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. So we need to know what the reason is. Paul is there in Corinth, most likely writing to the church in Rome, and he has not met them. And in verse 17 of chapter 15, he lays it out. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He had fulfilled it. He was done. He could have quit. Verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, least I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. A loose quotation of Isaiah 52.15. So in verse 22, he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. He's saying, I'm living my life according to the promises and commands of God. I've preached the gospel, I've fulfilled it, but Isaiah says, I am to preach the gospel where they have never heard before. And I'm going to make it my ambition not to build on someone else's foundation and come to Rome and preach more, but I'm a, I'm a go. You're going to find out his desire is to go to Spain. And so at this point in time, he had been beaten, he'd been imprisoned, He'd, uh, he'd been through all sorts of, of terrible calamities. And, and he could have hung it up. He could have retired. If you've ever been to that part of the world, Greece, even Spain that he's going to, beautiful, beautiful islands, beautiful Mediterranean Sea. He could have coasted. Maybe he got himself a, a little Roman uh, villa and kind of... Just been the, I don't know, the chaplain to the Roman soldiers and just kind of patted them on their back. Said, hey, you're doing good, guys. But this apostle, perhaps one of the greatest apostles, wrote a good portion of the New Testament. He's not even going to brag about what he's done. And what you're about to see here in verse 22 and, and following, the apostle Paul is dirt poor. Let's keep going. Verse 23 says, But now, 
since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Man, he was hard at it. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. He couldn't afford to even get to Spain. He needed financial help. This was a man that was exceeding everyone in Judaism. He was well-educated. He was well-thought-of. He could have taken the road in his younger days to pursue academia. He could have exceedingly, uh, gone on to exceedingly great, uh, perhaps, uh, fame in Judaism. Maybe even achieved a very high office with lots of wealth. There in Israel and Jerusalem, you can see some of the, the older homes, the ancient homes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the ruling class. And man, they're incredible. To this day, they have mosaic tiles on their floors. Uh, You could see even on the walls, you would think ancient first century building, it would be very basic, but they would have the equivalent of wallpaper, uh, just art deco on the walls that you can still see. He could have achieved any of that, I'm sure. But he chose to give it all up for the gospel, this Jesus that he encountered. Now, as I'm standing there in that that Roman city, that ancient Roman city, just a few years ago, you can't help but to think of your own life. What would I have done? What would I do if I were Paul in Corinth? Would I still be full of love and passion for the gospel, my Savior, Jesus? Or would I kind of generally kind of move more towards my hobbies? I could have invented golf. I could have been the inventor of golf. Hey, I would have been famous for that. I could have just laid on the beach, got a good tan. Now, notice that none of that's bad Go back to verse 24, he says this, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. To have good fellowship, there's nothing wrong with that. It's an encouragement. Not everyone was called to be an apostle there. They were there in Rome. They were staying. They weren't going anywhere. But part of their ministry was to support the apostles. And next week, you get to meet the Roman church. It's so cool to actually get to to know some of the individuals and what they were doing in first century Christianity in that part of the world. It's exciting. It's part of the the letter that most people just gloss through. But we're going to look at the Roman church. And and they're people just like you. Maybe just simple believers who aren't gifted to be evangelists, but boy, they can do a lot behind the scenes. And and we have that here at Blue Mountain. So many people working behind the scenes, working with our children and technology and all sorts of areas, outreaches. But all of them were busy. None of them were coasting, or at least not the ones that the Apostle Paul mentioned. And the Apostle Paul wasn't going to hang it up. He continues in verse 25, he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, you have to remember, once again, the history here. Jerusalem at this point in time is a hotbed of nationalism. 
They hate the Romans. They hate the Christians at this point. They had been dispersed through persecution. And he's going right back into that. And he's bringing a lot of money. If you know anything about the ancient Roman world, it's not like they have a police force like we have. They had the soldiers, and the soldiers weren't always the, the most ethical either. So he's bringing a lot of money that he's carried all around from all the churches, and he's trying to take it back to the church there in Jerusalem to give them aid. A church that you're going to read here in a second might not even be the most receptive. In verse 26, he says this, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. Indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So right off the bat, you get the kind of the feeling that not all is well within the church. You still have this division of Judaism and Gentiles. I mean, it's been 25 plus years. You think that would have kind of settled down. No, it hasn't. And so the Apostle Paul is bringing it up once again. He had discussed it all through the book of Romans. And he's saying, you know what? The Gentiles... They ought to support the Jewish Christians. They have been blessed through this salvation that came through the Jews. Spiritually, they ought to support them financially when they're poor and needy and without food. Have you ever been without food? That's, that's hard for me to imagine. You know what I discovered what poor people do here in the United States? We don't go without food. What we do is when you're poor, you don't get to eat out. <laughs> That's what you don't get. Like when you're poor, you have to go to the grocery store and bring your own lunch to work rather than go out to eat at lunch every day at work. That's what poor people do. That's what I do sometimes. I occasionally just spend my wealth. But, and when you're really poor, you don't get to go to the grocery store and get the prepackaged kind of pre-cooked food. That's more expensive. You're in the rice and beans aisle. Yeah, and the peanut butter and jelly aisle with bread. That's what poor people do here. It's hard to even imagine being completely without food. Uh, the other day, I was trying to save some money, and I drove to, to La Grande. I had some things I wanted to do, and one of them was a trip to, to Walmart. And I show up to Walmart at night in La Grande, and I'm thinking, that's the time to go to Walmart because less crowds, Right? It's about 7 to 8 o'clock at night. I'm thinking everyone's at home eating dinner and it's a weekday. What do I do when I arrive at the Walmart's vegetable area? It looks like there is a hurricane coming or some sort of natural disaster where everyone had come in and just wiped out everything. They had this long display about half the size of about six rows of chairs here of bananas. There were three bananas on it. Three, but not three clumps of bananas, three bananas. No broccoli, no salad in the little prepackaged containers, nothing. It looked like there was a famine in Legrand for some reason at Walmart. And it was frustrating. Have you ever been in the store, like maybe back a few years ago when uh, there was a kind of a problem here with our water and we couldn't drink the water and you would go to the store and there was no water? You're like, how, do I, how am I going to survive, right? And you're like, oh, boil some water, I, I've got it. I mean, that's about the biggest crisis that you can think of here in America. 
Paul was about to go head first into that just simply to try to help the poor. We've spent three weeks talking about generosity and the poor and how to give to the poor. And Paul's about to spend perhaps his very life on trying to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Verse 28 says, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. His desire is to go there, come back, enjoy their fellowship, and head off to a new frontier. Whether or not Paul ever made it to Spain, we're not sure. Some church traditions say that he was arrested, brought to Rome, was freed for a little while. Maybe he went to Spain, maybe he didn't. The best historical documents tell us that that Spain really wasn't evangelized until about the 3rd century AD. Again, historical documents are are very uh, sparse. Uh, The historical documents don't show when the church at Rome was planted or other churches. So we can't say that for sure. But we do know what happened on Paul's trip from Corinth back to Jerusalem from the book of Acts. And in verse 30, he says this, or in verse 28, or 29, I'll get it right. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He had plans to go to Spain, but whenever he comes back, the fullness of the blessing of Christ, he would come in that. His greatest desire was not that he would arrive back with accolades, in his title of apostle, and and to retire there, he was going to come and be a blessing in Christ to them. And then in verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit. Two things that he's, he's asking for them to be motivated by. Jesus himself, and the Spirit of Christ, his love that has been poured into our hearts, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he's asking them, as he's about to leave for Jerusalem on this incredibly dangerous trip, just simply strive together, work at this with me, just battle with me in prayer. For what? That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Number one, verse 31, first part. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. For those of you that are not familiar with the setting, Acts chapter 29, verses 28, or rather Acts chapter 9, verses 28 and 29 says this. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 13, um, describing Paul, it says, When we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He was heading to a place where they were trying to kill him. The Holy Spirit testified through prophecy and prophets 
that he was going to be bound and imprisoned. Did you have a rough week this past week? Anyone try to kill you? Anyone looking to throw you in prison? Did you have any famine in this area, this part of Baker City? As you look at your life and what you're struggling with, there are real struggles, make no mistake. But in the big picture, what are you really willing to sacrifice? What are you really willing to push through? The Apostle Paul was willing to die. And here's the cool part. It doesn't end there. Not only did he ask to be delivered from the unbelievers, the second aspect that he wanted prayer for was this, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Wow. The church in their poverty, in their persecuted life was still so arrogant and so full of itself that Paul wasn't even sure that this gracious gift by the Gentiles of money would be actually acceptable to them. And he's asking the church in Rome to strive with him in his prayers that this gift that he's bringing, risking life and limb, would be acceptable to them. Have you ever been a part of a church that was that messed up? I mean, that's crazy. And yet Paul was willing to deal with that. Paul was willing to give his life for the Lord because his desire was to bring glory to God and help his people. And he was this peacemaker, actually, even though he was accused of stirring up trouble between Jews and Gentiles. And he was praying that these these arrogant individuals in their poverty would, would accept this incredibly generous gift from the churches that they themselves in that part of of the Roman Empire were poor as well, yet they gave above and beyond what they out of their poverty to to the, the saints there in Jerusalem. Would you do that? Have you ever served in a church where your service was completely unappreciated? In fact, it was almost expected. Like people quit saying thank you about six weeks into your service and a couple years into it, they just kind of expected you to be there. Did you go, you know what? I could could spend my time better somewhere else. Have you ever had that thought? I have. I'm like, where's everyone else? I see him on Sundays, but man, preparing for Sunday morning and during the week and all, all these projects, it seems like the church is asking me to spend more time down there than with my family. Is that the attitude Paul had? No. Is that the attitude the Roman church had? I don't think so. But we can get like that. We certainly can. The church of Jerusalem had. But what occurred what happened acts 21 
Verses 17 through 20 say this, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. Wow. So not only did God answer the prayers of Paul and the Romans of He made it to church. The unbelievers did not kill him. And when he arrived there, a church led by other apostles, they actually glorified God because of his work. His prayers, their prayers were answered. And notice this. Do you pray to God about his will for your life? Big decisions, you know? Should I get married? Should I not? Should I go to school? Should I not? Should I take this job? Should I move here? Should I go there? Do you ever pray about that? And you're expecting these immediate answers like, yes, no, go, stay, left, right. You know, you want the sign, right? You want to wake up in the morning and there's just this note from God. Take a right, stop, uh, quit this job, marry this person. You're good to go. And you'd be like, yes, that's an answer to prayer. Paul didn't get that. He didn't get that at all. He, he was unsure of whether he'd be delivered from the unbelievers all the way to the time he arrives in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he still wasn't sure. He knew God's will. And this is in your life today, as you're trying to, to figure out God's will for your life, God's will is revealed just like it was revealed in Scripture to Paul in, a, in Isaiah that we already touched on. But then you try to live it out. You have the freedom to live it out. And then you pray about it. You ask for God's strength and his protection. And it doesn't always come out the way you think it ought to come out. But he does answer prayer. And you'll you'll see this next part. This verse 32, how strangely God answered this prayer. He says, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. That was his prayer that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, he came back. Listen to this, Acts 28, 14 through 16. He says, There we found the brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they had heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God. Wow, and took courage. And when he came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Here's the the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. He arrived in Jerusalem. The Jews there found out he was there, nearly caused a riot. The soldiers were called. He was arrested. He had appealed to Caesar. He was basically run out of town so he wasn't killed. He, he took this ship. He was shipwrecked. Uh, all sorts of stuff happened. And then he finally makes it to Rome. It wasn't like he took the love boat back to, to Rome and was cruising through the Mediterranean Sea. His prayers that he made it back, that he could come to them with joy and be refreshed in their company, were answered. But he had a couple extra people with him. They were called soldiers or guards. He was in chains. As I'm standing in this ancient Roman city, I have to ask, would I have done that? As I'm standing here in Baker City, 
I have to ask, what am I willing to do in the coming years for Christ? In my role, in my gifting, in this body of believers. I want to challenge you this morning. What will you do? What are your plans? If you were to write out your plans and and we were to, to, to read them as we're reading the Apostle Paul's this morning, what do your plans look like? What is, what is your dream for your life? The best it could possibly be. Does it even include the body of Christ? Does the kingdom of God hit your radar at all? For some of you, it's, yeah, it is, but it's, it's kind of part of my life. I'm not sure quite how much I want to give to it. For some of you, it's, yeah, I'm all in and I'm ready to go. In fact, I, I can't find enough stuff to do. For some of you, maybe the Holy Spirit's moving in your life and maybe God's drawing you into full-time ministry. For some of you, maybe God's convicting you as we were looking earlier in this year about being disciples and making disciples. Maybe you've never actually even articulated the good news of Jesus Christ to one person in the entire world. And God's moving to say, you know what? If I really love my coworker, my neighbor, my child, my grandfather, maybe it's time I I finally spoke up and risked just a wee bit of persecution or something. What are your plans? And then, are you excited about it? Are you asking other people to pray with you that God might strengthen you and bring you through that? Because I got to tell you, those plans, they're plans, but God has His plans. And They'll come together, but they probably won't look exactly like you imagine. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing, ultimately, to die for Christ? And that sounds like a pretty high bar, but it's not at all. Because of this, you're going to die. It's just a matter of when and where, but you will die unless the Lord comes back. So are you going to die for your dreams and your goals and your retirement ideas, your financial goals? Are you going to die for that? Or are you going to die for the kingdom of God eternally? You don't really have a choice on dying. It's just, which do you die for? And between now and then, which will you live for? Verse 33 says this, May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself, referring to Jesus, is our peace. My prayer for you this morning, as you examine your life, is that you have peace. That when you think of dying some point in the future, you're not afraid. You have peace in eternal life, but do you have peace now? Because you know what you're pursuing now has eternal ramifications. It has purpose. 
as you pursue this God who loves you, who wants you to live out this life in obedience to the good news of Jesus Christ as He conforms you to His image for His glory in His love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so very much for the kids that came this morning and and what you're doing in their life and through the teachers that are building them up. I thank you so much for uh, everyone here, their life. Uh, I just pray that you would continue to move in, in my life and the lives of this church, that you would lead us into your will, that we would be bold in our love for you and in our sacrifice for you in this community and around the world. We might not be the ones on the tip of the spear, but help us to serve mightily in our roles here, maybe behind the scenes, giving up time, giving up money, giving up whatever it is, not for some pointless task, but for your kingdom, that we might bring you glory. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.